Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. here at Encounter Church. And um, let's get you to keep standing for a moment because this is the honour culture we want. We want for our interns. We've got three amazing interns coming to bring a word today. We've had an amazing group of interns this year we've been journeying with. And our first intern preaching today is Ethan Clark. A man after God's own heart. A man who has journeyed with God. I love the depths of his soul. I love what he loves is the Word of God and reading it for himself and interpreting it and drinking it in. I love the deep, deep intimacy he has with God and the everyday walk he has with God. And so for that, I honour him. And I say you'd honour him as he comes to bring you the Word tonight. Hit the clock! Well, hey guys. I'm Ethan. Uh, I'm an intern here. Uh, whoop, whoop. Yeah. Um, so today I'm here to bring you guys a sermon. Uh, the sermon of choice I've chosen is John chapter 6, verse 35. Um, and is written by John. And it says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So now we've bred the text, let's start with a story. I remember when I was a kid, most Saturdays, my dad, sister, and I would go to Finden Shopping Centre to get some groceries, go to the library, and most importantly, go to Baker's Delight. And I remember at Baker's Delight, they had, um, you could collect these pictures of, I assume, the Baker's Delight boy and colour them in. And then you would hand them back to Baker's Delight. And they had like a wall in the bakery with all the good ones on there. I never made it on there. (laughs) Uh, But the best part was that um, you could collect a free finger bun. And like, man, as a kid, that stuff would just about pass as the bread of life. (laughs) So when does the Bible talk about bread? Well, one of the earliest times the Bible mentions bread is when the Hebrew people have been freed from Egypt and they're on the way to the promised land and it rains manna, or bread, every day. When this was happening, it would rain bread every day, but the bread would only last for one day before going bad. This is a time when God literally provides the bread of life for his people. Later, bread is mentioned again when Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray and he tells them to ask for their daily bread. Once again, only enough for a day. Not too much, not too little, and it's coming from God. So God is the provider of bread. But I think that the bread Jesus is talking about in John 6 is different to the daily bread. I think that, uh, yeah, because in Matthew 4, it says that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus says that he is the word. So God must have some special type of bread for us. And it's not just about filling our tummies. A point of interest that gives a lot of context to this verse is the same chapter of John, 
John 6, verse 50 to 71, which says, I am the living bread came down from heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. And the, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the man, Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life on you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. So Jesus says this after using five loaves of bread and two fish to feed 5,000 people, which puts this into context by saying that the miracle that I just performed is just a glimpse of what is to come. It may seem a bit gruesome for Jesus to say, eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> but it makes more sense when the Last Supper is taken into account and Jesus takes the elements and he breaks the bread and says, this is my body. And he has the cup of wine and says, this is my blood. Eat this in remembrance of me. So Jesus isn't talking about a bread that will make you never go hungry again, but he's speaking to a different level of bread, a spiritual bread. A bread that is everlasting and will keep you alive forever. This spiritual bread is in a way Jesus saying, if you come to me and believe, you will receive this gift that I have given to you through grace so that you shall not perish. Your sins will be forgiven and you can spend eternity with him in heaven. So, how do we accept the bread of life from Jesus? Well, it's a one-time thing and once you've accepted it, then it's yours. In Romans 10 verse 9 to 10, it says... Because if you confess with your mouths that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I think uh, this is how we get the bread of life. This is how we are saved. Isn't this great news? I think that's almost the greatest news I've ever heard. Just as Baker's Delight gave me a free finger bun, God gives us the bread of life. Once we've accepted Jesus as our bread of life, it's important to keep our soul fed on his bread. So we can do this through prayer, reading the Bible. Prayer is great because it lets God hear our voices and give thanks to him for the bread of life and for our daily bread. Reading the Bible is important as well because it lets us listen to the word of God. Something else that I love that will keep you spirit close with Jesus <laughs> is attending church. I find it really helps me prepare myself for the week to come. So the next step after accepting the bread of life from Jesus is to go out and make disciples of every nation. This is called evangelism, and God calls us to it as disciples. It's very fulfilling, and every time you bring someone to God and they confess their sins to Jesus, uh, confess their sins and say that Jesus is Lord, heaven rejoices. So would you please close your eyes in prayer with me? Dear Lord, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. We give thanks to you for everything in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us our daily bread, and I pray that you would give everyone here your spirit, and they would receive your word with grace and love as they go out into the world to make disciples. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on. Awesome stuff, Ethan. The true bread of life. I loaf that too, buddy. <laughs>
Hey, uh, our second preacher today, and we, if you haven't worked it out, we're going through some, through some of the I am statements of John last week and this week, about how Jesus declared that he was, in fact, God through these statements. And our second preacher tonight is a woman of power, spiritual power and authority, a woman that has character and a woman that has seen life and has overcome and knows God through each and every part of the ups and downs. And I love and honor her for that. Would you be upstanding and cheer for Hannah Amaris Daria? Thank you, everybody. Mike's put me on timer because he says I talk too much. But uh, So today, um, I'm Hannah, one of the interns, as you already know. And, um, and forgive me if I speak too fast. I'll try to be slow for you all. Uh, I am on timer. Uh, <laughs> so the I am statement that I'm bringing in today is, I am the good shepherd. And the scripture is taken from John 10, verses 11 and 14. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own knows me. Now let's look at the meaning of shepherd and why God called himself the shepherd to the children of Israel. Shepherd, according to the Thesaurus Dictionary, I didn't use Wikipedia. Shepherd is a person who herds, tends, and guards sheep. Shepherd is also a person who protects, guides, and watches over a person or a group of people. Now, shepherding is a profession that has been around for ages, for years and years. And it's a very familiar profession um, within the children of Israel. As you see and read in the Bible, um, Abraham was a shepherd, Isaac and Jacob were shepherds, Moses was a shepherd, and then you have the greatest shepherd in the history of Israel, the King David, King David, not the King David. He was a shepherd boy who was called to be king of Israel. But then let's not forget the one true shepherd, the truest king of all, Jesus. And when you look into the life of shepherd, a shepherd's life is not easy, right? Like how many of you have been a shepherd or is a shepherd? I know Ashley is. She goes on with her tractor. You want funny stories of sheep? Ask her. Um, and yeah, so they're always out in the cold at night and in the heat of day. And sheep aren't really the smartest animals, right? Like they are pretty dumb. I'm not calling y'all dumb. Just saying. I'm just saying the animal is dumb. And because of that, you know, because they're not the smartest ones, they're always wandering out of their own. They put them, expose themselves to danger and they do their own thing, and that's why they need a shepherd to protect them, to watch over them. They, are constantly, they have to constantly be aware of their flock, relentless and vigilant towards the sheep as danger is always around. And despite this challenging job, a shepherd continues to protect, continues to guide, continues to provide and enable the multiplication of the flock. Now that you understand this, you will understand how and why God presents himself as a shepherd to the children of Israel and why Jesus is partners himself to that same analogy. In, jo chapter, uh, in John 10, we read how Jesus uses the same analogy so that people will understand that he is God, but he also has a pastoral heart just as a shepherd is towards its sheep. And that is what our God is, a pastoral heart. Uh, Mike, you're a great pastor too, just saying uh, so, when we look into the scriptures, um, that I don't know if my slides are up, but sure. When we look into the scriptures, um, there's so many scriptures in the Bible that speaks about pictures God as a shepherd. 
And my favorite is Isaiah 40:11. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are, run at nurse, that are nursing. Let's look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus laid his life down for his children. It didn't matter who we are, where we came from, what our sins was. He chose to lay his life down for us. He laid down his crucifixion, torn the veil that separates us from God. His crucifixion enabled us to have a relationship with him. His crucifixion gave us victory over death. And how are we deserving of that? Truly, we are not, but he chose to do that for us. So, when you look into this, shepherds are completely responsible for their sheep. If anything happens to their shepherd, they have to produce um, evidence that it is not their fault by delusion of duty or the wrestling of sheep. If you look in Exodus 22, verse 13, it speaks about how you bring your evidence um, to show that you're not the reason why your sheep is missing or your sheep is dead. And just like that, so you either have to hold account and give witness why the sheep is missing or you pray from your side. And that's the job of a shepherd. Look, we're all small shepherds under the master of the biggest shepherd, which is Jesus Christ. And so we are accountable to God and the people that we are ministering to. We are all called to be ministers. We are all called to serve. It's not only the duty of a pastor, an evangelizer, a minister, or a mission worker. We are all called to serve. We call to serve through our actions, by the way we love on others, because we carry the kingdom of God in us. And our action speaks volume. Our action shows the kingdom of God. And that is the job of a shepherd. In John 10.10, we see the difference between a thief and a shepherd. A thief comes to do what? Amazing. Still kill and you pass. Um, and, <laughs> and the rest. And what does a shepherd do? The shepherd comes to protect. And Jesus proves this not only through his word, but also offering himself as a sacrifice for his sheep. And that is the call of ministry, to put your life on the line for the sake of the crowd. It is not ignoring the church, but loving them to the point of death because that's what Jesus taught us to do. Jesus giving us the greatest example where he says, like a shepherd, risk his life. I have come to, I have come to my sheep not to risk my life, but to give my life. I am not waiting for risk to happen. I'm giving my life because the risk is already here. And in John 10, 18, it clearly says how Jesus chose to give his life for us. No one, could, no one forced him, no one manipulated him, no one told him what to do, he chose to do it. And everything he endured was because of his passion for us. His resurrection brought people together. Let's look at the second verse, verse 14. I am the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me. Know in a Greek language, very interestingly, is, means to know intimately, to love intimately. It's agape love. Such a short word, no, but it means agape love. And that's what Jesus' love is all about. Just as the Father knows me, and I know my Father, the same relationship Jesus has towards his people, to the church, it's the expression of his love. Jesus knows us in and out. He knows our every thought, our desires, our deepest and darkest secrets, our temperament, what cheers us up, he knows every strand on our heads. He even knows what you do in the toilet with your phone and what you're watching. <laughs> and it's true. Sometimes you, don't, you do a lot of things in the toilet. Let's not go there. But Psalms 103. 
Psalms 103 verse 14, For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. There is nothing that you can tell him that he does not already know. Because he knows you, he is able to lead you. Because he knows you, he leaves the 99 for you. Because he knows you, he provides you what you need in a timely manner. See, the reason the Good Shepherd leaves the, the 99 is because of its strength as a pack. When I told you Jesus' resurrection gathers his people, that people is the unity, that people is the strength. And, when, and then he goes after that one because, that isolation, because isolation is the last step before destruction. Anything that is about to be destroyed will always isolate itself right before destruction. Whether it's in your family, in your marriage, in your relationship, in your church, the wolf plays all kinds of tricks in your mind and your heart to get you to isolate yourself. But God is a good shepherd. He knows us, He knows our hearts, so He comes for us. He lays down His life for us to save us, gathering the ships back together again. And that's what He does. This is what Jesus is conveying to us. I am the good shepherd, not a hired hand. What does a hired hand do? He runs away from trouble. He doesn't love you. He doesn't own you. He runs away. But I am the good shepherd. When the wolf runs towards you, you run to him because Jesus does not turn away from, from, fight, from a fight. There's nothing to fear because he is our shepherd. Um, yes. Now, while working through this sermon... I read, and I, while working through this sermon, I was reading all these verse, I came across the verse of John 18, 19, where it says, the Pharisees asked him, where is your father? You know neither me or my father. Jesus answered, if you knew me, you will also know my father. This question broke my heart and made me, feel, sudden, made me question myself about how much do I truly know God? Like, yes, Jesus knows me in and out, but how much do I truly know him? I know he's a great God, he's mindful, I've seen his miracles, but do I know him personally? Do I have a close relationship with him? See, his accessibility is incredibly important to us. If you understand and accept that Christ is our shepherd, then you don't have to wake up a bishop at 5 a.m. in the morning to receive breakthrough because he's already died for us. He's given us, the, he's given us that relationship with him. We can just wake up and go to God ourselves. We can be in our office and go through the door. We can be in our house and go through the door. We can be in a prison cell and still go through that door. We don't have to be at a particular place at a particular time to receive God's glory. And once we find the door, we find the pasture, just as the shepherd leads the sheep into greener pastures. You can ask yourself now, how can he call himself a good shepherd and put us in a world filled with wolves? Does he not know of my weaknesses, of how much I'm suffering and how I'm trying to live in this world? But that's why he said to us, I come so that you may have life. You may have life abundant. You don't have to deal with this wolf by yourself. The good shepherd is here. He's here to go through that wolves with you. What, he's coming against anything that's trying to assassinate you. Assass sorry, I don't assassinate. I mean to destroy. But <laughs> same, same. Okay, you come to destroy your future, your calling, your family. You don't have to walk through it alone. There is no fear because God is your shepherd. I'm going to end by just sharing a very short story quickly. Um, and, and I will end with a question. So growing up, um, I never really had a very close relationship with my dad. Um, like, I never, like, he was always around. I never really had much to talk to him. Um, and unless it was about money, asking for money, <laughs> uh, you know, permission to go out. And that was, that was about it, to be honest. Um, and it's been like that throughout my school and throughout my uni life. And I never traveled with my dad 
alone, except um, when we used to go for mission trips. Um, that was a group, it was a group mission trip, so that's when I used to travel with my dad. But I never had a relationship with alone where we traveled together, or I never had time that I spent alone with him. Um, so when I came to, when I was moving to Brisbane to do my master's in 2017, I thought I was going to come alone, but then I found out my dad was also coming with me. And I was like, oh no, like, what am I going to do with my dad alone? Like, I, I, what am I going to talk to him in the journey? So I asked my mom, can you come with us? And he, she was like, no, I've got a lot of things to do in the house. Why can't you go with your dad? And I'm like, but like, it's so awkward. Like, you know, <laughs> what am I going to do two weeks with my dad? <laughs> and she was like, he's your father. But nevertheless, right, as much as I was awkward about it, I was still excited for this trip with my dad because it's, my, it's a chance for me to get to know my dad, but it's also a chance for me to but it was also a chance for me to reconnect, reconnect, have a connection with my dad again. And throughout the trip, I realized how hard it would have been for me if I did not have my dad there for me, with me. Me thinking I could survive um, settling alone in Brisbane would have been chaotic. But having my dad with me made everything easier because my dad shepherded me throughout that journey. He was there protecting me and guiding me. He went with me to seven to eight house inspections, walking up the hill, walking down the hill, figuring out transportation, figuring out uni, bank, everything, he was there for me. If I was alone, I would have been so lost, but my father knew what I needed before even I knew what I needed. And that is how Jesus is with us. He knows what you need before you even know what you need, and that's what Jesus does. That's why Jesus is our good protector, our good shepherd, and that's why Jesus is there to always protect you and to guide you. And so, with this, I end a question of, as much as Jesus knows us, how much do we know our shepherd? Do you know the shepherd as much as he knows you? Do you know the shepherd well enough that you can recognize his voice? Do you know your shepherd's voice? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this day, Lord Father. Thank you, Lord, that you have given me the opportunity to share of, um, of your character and you as a shepherd in our lives, Lord Father. Lord, I pray, Lord Father, that as we continue to heed your word and learn more about you, Lord Father, I pray we can grow in a closer relationship with you, that we will learn to recognize your voice, Lord Father, in our good times and in our bad times, that we will grow in relationship with you, Lord Father, and to know that this is my God who is speaking to me, this is my God, my good shepherd, and I will fear not because you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. And I thank you, Lord, that you are a good shepherd. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So good, Hannah. And what a challenge. Do we know our Father's voice in the same way that our Father knows ours? One more to come, and we're really borderline going Lutheran here at Encounter, because last week we sampled the Barossa Valley's great vintages, and this week we go to the Clare Valley, and the amazing Ashley White into an extraordinaire, youth leader extraordinaire, preacher extraordinaire. Give it up for Ashley White! Thanks, guys. Okay, I guess I'll just get straight into it. So today's teaching text is from John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What a powerful core teaching of Jesus, that Jesus is it, the way, the truth, the life. He is the answer. 
Yet, we, as so often with Bible verses like this one, that we have heard hundreds of times before, we kind of gloss over it, forgo delving into the depths of what Jesus is actually saying through the statement, go, yep, I agree, or wow, that's good, and continue reading. So what I'd like to do today, church, is look at what the way, truth, and life mean in today's cultural context, what the Bible says about the way, the truth, and the life, and what this means for us if Jesus is who he says he is. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. After following Jesus throughout his three years of ministry, his closest disciples, the 12, had learned that Jesus was not all like who the Messiah was expected to be. In verse 5, Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? I first read this and I was like, fair question, Thomas. It feels like an entirely new concept that Jesus is introducing here, that he, a person, can be the way to somewhere, the way to life. But in sitting and reflecting, I realised that this is far from true. People being the way to somewhere is not a foreign concept at all, but one so familiar that we fail to recognise it because it is so close. Being in a relationship with this person is the way to happiness and fulfilment. Befriending these people is the way to experiencing recognition and achieving importance. Impressing that person is the way to reaching success, which directs my purpose. Or the common narrative of today, which is written by hustle culture and much of our individualistic society, that I, and only I, am the way to achieving these things. Satisfaction, fulfilment, purpose, happiness. We have all, at one stage or another, had these thoughts. Maybe not that we've explicitly voiced, but in what our hearts have longed for. The common denominator in all of these instances, whether we see the way as someone other than Jesus, is that we are putting our full faith and trust in people who will, not might, but it is inevitable that they will disappoint they will fail and fall short and that they are in fact not the source of true fulfilment or the way to reach your purpose, whatever you may be that as. To be on the way to life somewhere, to be following the way, there must be a destination. With Jesus, that destination is life. It is the kingdom of heaven. It is eternity with God, no barriers, no sin, no darkness. In Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. As we read in John verse 10, uh, sorry, John 10 verse 7, where Jesus says that he is the good shepherd and refers to us, his people, as his sheep. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, I'm going to take you on a quick trip down memory lane, my memory, not yours, uh, but to when we, me and a good friend got really lost on good old nine, year nine ski trip. So it's the last run of the day, and we decide to take an unmarked run for a bit of adventure, always a good idea. Uh, it turned out to be a servicing route for, ski uh, for snowmobiles. We realised this is about 200 metres into the one kilometre track that was horizontal, going on like a slight incline. So we're like propelling ourselves using our poles for one kilometre. 
Um, not very fun when you're saturated from your multiple falls, because I wasn't very good at skiing, uh, when you're bruised and exhausted. So we get to the end, finally made it, and we hit one of those big orange caution fences, which we climb over, because what else are we meant to do? And then we realised that it was actually there to mark the small creek that was half covered in snow, separating us from the ski lift in the distance. So we managed to make it across without falling in. We get on the ski lift, we're about halfway up the ski lift, and I go to check maps on my phone. I pulled my phone out for 30 seconds, try and get it working. My old iPhone, I don't know what it was, was kind of being slow, and the screen froze over, so I was like, great. So I tried to put it back into the bag that I had for it, the Ziploc bag, which I've left open, and there has just, snow has just piled in the bag. <laughs> I'm like, can I get any worse? So we get off the ski lift, we're at the top of the road, I think we know where we're going. I'm ready to walk to the bus stop, and my friend is adamant that the road that we want isn't this road, but it is a road up the hill up a hill that's like this, and that we would have to hike up it to reach it. And I was pretty reluctant, but he's a pretty smart guy, so I gave him the benefit of the doubt. Wrong decision, ladies. Never listen to a guy giving you geographical directions. So, we're halfway up this hill to spoiler, absolute nowhere. I've got my skis over my shoulder. We're being tortured by our ski boots, which would give medieval punishments a run for their money at this point. When our bus shows up, on the road below. <laughs> so, so beyond frustrated at this point, we are painfully bum sliding down the hill. And I was voicing a few I told you so's. We end up walking to the hotel instead of waiting for the bus for the next half an hour. And as if it couldn't get any worse, walking up the hill had compacted so much snow on the bottom of my ski boots that I could not put my skis back on to slide. So I had to trudge through sometimes knee-deep snow to make it home. Eventually, we made it back. I'm here, it's good. But I feel exhausted just retelling that story, honestly. <laughs> to put it simply, church, this is a pretty good representation of what doing life without Jesus is like. <laughs> With no way to guide us, a lot of made-up truths that we were telling ourselves, and the life being drained from us instead of given, it was a big schmozzle. That's the technical term, I believe. <laughs> the way is not found in other people or ourselves. The way is not in good works. It's not in striving or our perfection, in which we will ultimately fall short. But the way is Jesus, the one who never fails, who is worthy and true. Which leads into my next point. Jesus says that he is the truth. Truth. A word that seems to hold less and less meaning as we become what many refer to as a post-truth society. We are living in a time where the terms my truth and your truth, their truth and our truth are used so often that the word truth has altogether lost meaning because it is no longer objective, but it has become subjective to whatever each individual wants it to be. Rob Winberg, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right, a Dutch journalist and philosopher, wrote in an article about what truth has become, the truth is not what is right, the truth is about what clicks. But if we are living in the post-truth society, then what is the truth that we are leaving behind? The Greek word for truth used throughout the New Testament Aletheia appears 110 times with Jesus using the word, which means reality, fact, the opposite of an illusion, 26 times. In John 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, 
If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John 1 verse 14, talking about Jesus, reads, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when Jesus declaring that he is the truth, that he is the aletheia, he is declaring that he is the opposite of an illusion, the opposite of false. He is reality. The American theologian R.C. Sproud summarizes truth in this way. Truth is not defined by our own subjective standards. It is defined by the source of truth himself. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. In the ultimate sacrificial act of Jesus, by willingly dying on the cross in our place, he became the way, the gate, the channel of resurrection, of eternal life for us, the way home to the Father. Not only is Jesus the only way, true way to life because of what he did on the cross, but he was also the giver of life from the beginning, from Genesis. That is what John is talking about in John chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus, the giver of life and the one true way to life. Ben, you can come on back up. So when we come into the head knowledge that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, what does that mean for us? What do we do about it? In Luke 10, verse 42, Jesus is talking to Mary and Martha while visiting their home. And he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Martha has the head knowledge of who Jesus is. She knew his importance and was fussing about to ensure that his time in their house was as comfortable and perfect as possible. Mary, however, had the heart knowledge of who Jesus is. She understood that all she needed to bring to Jesus was her faith, that in this moment, sitting at his feet and listening to his words was the most important thing she could be doing. She understood that she needed Jesus. He is needed, church, and he is all we need. We stop seeking after all that is not Jesus because Jesus is it. Jesus is it, church. There is no other way by which we reach what our hearts and souls long for, no other path to life. If you know Jesus, you know truth. Truth that has the power to save, to set you free. As is written in Acts 4 verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is it. Is Jesus it for you? Have you accepted that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and begin to let that wash over you and transform you? I'd like to give the opportunity now for anyone who has not said yes to Jesus and you feel him nudging you, you feel him prodding you and you want to know him as the way, the truth, and the life today to take that step, to say yes to be welcomed home into the family of God. 
And so if everyone could please bow their eyes, bow their eyes, <laughs> bow their heads and close their eyes as a sign of respect for anyone who wants to respond. If that's you, on the count of three, if you'd like to raise your hand. One, two, three. There's still time if that's you. And if that's you, online church, if you'd like to reach out to our online host, Leah, she would love to connect with you and pray for you. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And because of that knowledge, because we know that and we hold fast to that, Lord, we do not have to seek anything else, but we can sit Help us to have a renewed knowledge of who you are today, Lord God, and as we go out into our weeks, Jesus. May we know not only that you are the way, the truth, and the life in our heads, but may that sink deep into our hearts and change them, Lord, as we progress in our relationships with you. Pray this in your holy name, Jesus.